I started getting ready to record the intro and outro of this episode and then heard something rustling around in the closet here and my cat came out of hiding and I tried to get him to leave but he wouldn't and as soon as I opened the door to get him to leave my wife started laughing at me because cats. So anyway this intro is going to take about five minutes to record so maybe you won't hear any cat sounds this week maybe you will I don't know let's find out together. There we go. Five minutes, buddy. Just give me five minutes, okay? Hey, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of the Weird Tales Podcast. My name is Tycho Alhambra. Thank you for listening. If this is your first episode, welcome, and know that you are welcome here regardless of your race, sexual orientation, or gender identity. The Weird Tales Podcast stands in solidarity with you all. Go. Move it. I don't want to close the door on your tail. All right, he's gone now. Transcripts of the show are available. The link is in the show notes. A quick warning before we get into this week's story. This story is weird. And I don't mean weird fiction weird. I mean it's bizarre. It's crazy. It's the insane ramblings of a delusional fever dream of an inmate in a madhouse in 1800s London. It's wackadoo. Did you listen to The Eater of Hours by Daryl Schweitzer and think, yeah, that's different, but it could be weirder? You won't think that here. This story is weird. And I kind of love it because of that. If you kind of love the show and want to help support it, please feel free to support me on Patreon. Patreon.com slash The Weird Tales Podcast. Every little bit helps, and every dollar goes back into the show and the various expenses associated with it. Thank you, Samantha Hickey, Damon Bowles, Marco Van Putin, and Ryan Patrick for your support. Okay, now that I have thoroughly built up expectations only to leave you vastly disappointed at the end of the story next week, let's get on with it. The Nose by Nikolai Gogol 1. On the 25th of March, 18 blank, a very strange occurrence took place in St. Petersburg, on the Ascension Avenue, there lived a barber of the name of Ivan Yakovlevich. He had lost his family name, and on his signboard, on which was depicted the head of a gentleman with one cheek soaped, the only inscription to be read was, Bloodletting done here. On this particular morning, he awoke pretty early, becoming aware of the smell of fresh-baked bread. He sat up a little in bed and saw his wife, who had a special partiality for coffee, in the act of taking some fresh-baked bread out of the oven. Today, Praskovna Asipovna, he said, I do not want any coffee. I should like a fresh loaf with onions. The blockhead may eat bread only as far as I am concerned, said his wife to herself. Then I shall have a chance of getting some coffee. And she threw a loaf on the table. For the sake of propriety, Ivan Yakovlevich drew a coat over his shirt, sat down at the table, shook out some salt for himself, prepared two onions, assumed a serious expression, and began to cut the bread. After he had cut the loaf in two halves, he looked, and to his great astonishment, saw something whitish sticking in it. He carefully poked round it with his knife and felt it with his finger. Quite firmly fixed, he murmured in his beard. What can it be? He put in his finger and drew out a nose. Ivanya Kovlovich at first let his hands fall from sheer astonishment. Then he rubbed his eyes and began to feel it. A nose! An actual nose. And moreover, it seemed to be the nose of an acquaintance. Alarm and terror were depicted in Ivan's face, but these feelings were slight in comparison with the disgust which took possession of his wife. 
Whose nose have you cut off, you monster? She screamed, her face red with anger. You scoundrel! You tippler! I myself will report you to the police! Such a rascal! Many customers have told me that while you were shaving them, you held them so tight by the nose that they could hardly sit still. But Ivan Yakovlevich was more dead than alive. He saw at once that this nose could belong to no other than to Kovalov, a member of the municipal committee whom he shaved every Sunday and Wednesday. Stop, Praskovna Osipovna! I will wrap it in a piece of cloth and place it in the corner. There it may remain for the present. Later on, I will take it away. No, not there. Shall I endure an amputated nose in my room? You understand nothing except how to strop a razor. You know nothing of the duties and obligations of a respectable man. You vagabond, you good-for-nothing. Am I to undertake all responsibility for you at the police office? Oh, you soap smearer, you blackhead! Take it away where you like, but don't let it stay under my eyes. Ivan Yakovlevich stood there flabbergasted. He thought and thought and knew not what he thought. Devil knows how that happened, he said at last, scratching his head behind his ear. Whether I came home drunk last night or not, I really don't know, but in all probability, this is quite an extraordinary occurrence. For a loaf is something baked, and a nose is something different. I don't understand the matter at all. And Ivan Yakovlevich was silent. The thought that the police might find him in unlawful possession of a nose and arrest him robbed him of all presence of mind. Already he began to have visions of a red collar with silver braid and of a sword, and he trembled all over. At last he finished dressing himself, and to the accompaniment of the emphatic exhortations of his spouse, he wrapped up the nose in a cloth and issued into the street. He intended to lose it somewhere, either at somebody's door or in a public square or in a narrow alley, but just then, in order to complete his bad luck, he was met by an acquaintance who showered inquiries upon him. Hello, Ivan Yakovlevich. Whom are you going to shave so early in the morning? Etc. So that he could find no suitable opportunity to do what he wanted. Later on, he did let the nose drop, but a sentry bore down upon him with his halberd and said, Look out! You have let something drop! And Ivan Yakovlevich was obliged to pick it up and put it in his pocket. A feeling of despair began to take possession of him, all the more as the streets became more thronged and the merchants began to open their shops. At last, he resolved to go to the Isaac Bridge, where perhaps he might succeed in throwing it into the Neva. But my conscience is a little uneasy that I have not yet given any detailed information about Ivan Yakovlevich, an estimable man in many ways. Like every honest Russian tradesman, Ivan Yakovlevich was a terrible drunkard, and although he shaved other people's faces every day, his own was always unshaved. His coat, he never wore an overcoat, was quite mottled, i.e. it had been black but become brownish-yellow. The collar was quite shiny, and instead of the three buttons, only the threads by which they had been fastened were to be seen. Ivan Yakovlevich was a great cynic, and when Kovalov, the member of the municipal committee, said to him, as was his custom while being shaved, your hands always smell, Ivan Yakovlevich. The latter answered, What do they smell of? I don't know, my friend, but they smell very strong. Ivan Yakovlevich, after taking a pinch of snuff, would then, by way of reprisals, set to work to soap him on the cheek, the upper lip, behind the ears, on the chin, and everywhere. This worthy man now stood on the Isaac Bridge. At first he looked round him, then he leant on the railings of the bridge as though he wished to look down and see how many fish were swimming past, and secretly through the nose, wrapped in a little piece of cloth, into the water. He felt as though a ton weight had been lifted off of him and laughed cheerfully. 
Instead, however, of going to shave any officials, he turned his steps to a building, the signboard of which bore the legend, Teas Served Here, in order to have a glass of punch, when suddenly he perceived at the other end of the bridge a police inspector of imposing exterior with long whiskers, three-cornered hat, and sword hanging at his side. He nearly fainted, but the police inspector beckoned to him with his hand and said, "'Come here, dear sir.' Ivan Yakovlevich, knowing how a gentleman should behave, took his hat off quickly, went towards the police inspector and said, "'I hope you are in the best of health.' "'Never mind my health. Tell me, my friend, why you were standing on the bridge.' "'By heaven, gracious sir, I was on the way to my customers "'and only looked down to see if the river was flowing quickly.' "'That is a lie. You won't get out of it like that. Confess the truth.' "'I am willing to shave your grace two or even three times a week gratis,' "'answered Ivan Yakovlevich. "'No, my friend, don't put yourself out. Three barbers are busy with me already "'and reckon it a high honor that I let them show me their skill. "'Now then, out with it. What were you doing there?' "'Ivan Yakovlevich grew pale.' But here, the strange episode vanishes in mist, and what further happened is not known. 2. Kovalov, the member of the municipal committee, awoke fairly early that morning and made a droning noise, brr, brr, through his lips as he always did, though he could not say why. He stretched himself and told his valet to give him a little mirror which was on the table. He wished to look at the heat boil which had appeared on his nose the previous evening, but to his great astonishment, he saw that instead of his nose, he had a perfectly smooth vacancy in his face. Thoroughly alarmed, he ordered some water to be brought and rubbed his eyes with a towel. Sure enough, he had no longer a nose. Then he sprang out of bed and shook himself violently. No, no nose anymore. He dressed himself and went at once to the police superintendent. But before proceeding further, we must certainly give the reader some information about Kovalov so that he may know what sort of man this member of the municipal committee really was. These committee men, who obtained that title by means of certificates of learning, must not be compared with the committee men appointed for the Caucasus district, who are of quite a different kind. The learned committee man, but Russia is such a wonderful country that when one committee man is spoken of, all the others from Riga to Kamschatka refer it to themselves. The same is also true of all other titled officials. Kovalov had been a Caucasian committee man two years previously and could not forget that he had occupied that position. But in order to enhance his own importance, he never called himself committee man, but major. Listen, my dear, he used to say when he met an old woman in the street who sold shirt fronts, go to my house in Sadovaya Street and ask, does Major Kovalov live here? Any child can tell you where it is. Accordingly, we will call him for the future Major Kovalov. It was his custom to take a daily walk on the Nevsky Avenue. The collar of his shirt was always remarkably clean and stiff. He wore the same style of whiskers as those that are worn by governors of districts, architects, and regimental doctors. In short, all those who have full red cheeks and play a good game of whist. These whiskers grow straight across the cheek towards the nose. Major Kovalov wore a number of seals, on some of which were engraved armorial bearings, and others the names of the days of the week. He had come to St. Petersburg with the view of obtaining some position corresponding to his rank, if possible that of vice-governor of a province, but he was prepared to be content with that of a bailiff in some department or other. He was, moreover, not disinclined to marry, but only such a lady who could bring with her a dowry of 200,000 rubles. Accordingly, the reader can judge for himself what his sensations were when he found in his face, instead of a fairly symmetrical nose, 
a broad, flat vacancy. To increase his misfortune, not a single droshky was to be seen in the street, and so he was obliged to proceed on foot. He wrapped himself up in his cloak and held his handkerchief to his face as though his nose bled. But perhaps it is all only my imagination. It is impossible that a nose should drop off in such a silly way, he thought, and stepped into a confectioner's shop in order to look into the mirror. Fortunately, no customer was in the shop. Only small shop boys were cleaning it out and putting chairs and tables straight. Others with sleepy faces were carrying fresh cakes on trays, and yesterday's newspapers stained with coffee were still lying about. Thank God no one is here, he said to himself. Now I can look at myself leisurely. He stepped gingerly up to a mirror and looked. What an infernal face, he exclaimed and spat with disgust. If there were only something there instead of the nose. But there is absolutely nothing. He bit his lips with vexation, left the confectioners, and resolved, quite contrary to his habit, neither to look nor smile at anyone on the street. Suddenly, he halted as if rooted to the spot before a door where something extraordinary happened. A carriage drew up at the entrance. The carriage door was opened, and a gentleman in uniform came up and hurried up the steps. How great was Kovalov's terror and astonishment when he saw that it was his own nose. At this extraordinary sight, everything seemed to turn round with him. He felt as though he could hardly keep upright on his legs, but though trembling all over as though with fever, he resolved to wait till the nose should return to the carriage. After about two minutes, the nose actually came out again. It wore a gold-embroidered uniform with a stiff, high collar, trousers of chamois leather, and a sword hung at its side. The hat, adorned with a plume, showed that it held the rank of a state councillor. It was obvious that it was paying duty calls. It looked round on both sides, called to the coachman, Drive on, and got into the carriage, which drove away. Poor Kovalov nearly lost his reason. He did not know what to think of this extraordinary procedure, and indeed, how was it possible that the nose, which only yesterday he had on his face and which could neither walk nor drive, should wear a uniform? He ran after the carriage, which fortunately had stopped a short way off before the Grand Bazaar of Moscow. He hurried towards it and pressed through a crowd of beggar women with their faces bound up, leaving only two openings for the eyes, over whom he had formerly so often made merry. There were only a few people in front of the bazaar. Kovalov was so agitated that he could decide on nothing and looked for the nose everywhere. At last, he saw it standing before a shop. It seemed half buried in its stiff collar and was attentively inspecting the wares displayed. How can I get at it? thought Kovalov. Everything, the uniform, the hat, and so on, show that it is a state councillor. How the deuce has that happened? He began to cough discreetly near it, but the nose paid him not the least attention. Honorable sir, said Kovalov at last, plucking up courage. Honorable sir. What do you want? asked the nose and turned round. It seems to me strange, most respected sir. You should know where you belong, and I find you all of a sudden where? Judge yourself. Pardon me, I do not understand what you are talking about. Explain yourself more distinctly. How shall I make my meaning plainer to him? Then, plucking up fresh courage, he continued, Naturally, besides, I am a major. You must admit it is not befitting that I should go about without a nose. 
An old apple woman on the Ascension Bridge may carry on her business without one, but since I am on the lookout for a post, besides in many houses I am acquainted with ladies of high position, Madame Chekhirev, wife of a state councillor, and many others. So you see, I do not know, Honorable Sir, what you... Here the Major shrugged his shoulders. Pardon me. If one regards the matter from the point of view of duty and honor, you will yourself understand... I understand nothing, answered the nose. I repeat, please explain yourself more distinctly. Honorable sir, said Kovalov with dignity, I do not know how I am to understand your words. It seems to me the matter is as clear as possible. Or do you wish... But you are, after all, my own nose. The nose looked at the major and wrinkled its forehead. There you are wrong, respected sir. I am myself. Besides, there can be no close relations between us. To judge by the buttons of your uniform, you must be in quite a different department to mine. So saying, the nose turned away. Kovalov was completely puzzled. He did not know what to do and still less what to think. At this moment, he heard the pleasant rustling of a lady's dress, and there approached an elderly lady wearing a quantity of lace, and by her side her graceful daughter in a white dress which set off her slender figure to advantage and wearing a light straw hat. Behind the ladies marched a tall lackey with long whiskers. Kovalov advanced a few steps, adjusted his cambric collar, arranged his seals which hung by a little gold chain, and with smiling face fixed his eyes on the graceful lady, who bowed lightly like a spring flower, and raised to her brow her little white hand with transparent fingers. He smiled still more when he spied under the brim of her hat her little round chin and part of her cheek faintly tinted with rose color. But suddenly he sprang back as though he had been scorched. He remembered that he had nothing but an absolute blank in place of a nose, and tears started to his eyes. He turned round in order to tell the gentleman in uniform that he was only a state councillor in appearance, but really a scoundrel and a rascal, and nothing else but his own nose. But the nose was no longer there. He had had time to go, doubtless in order to continue his visits. His disappearance plunged Kovalov into despair. He went back and stood for a moment under a colonnade, looking round him on all sides in hopes of perceiving the nose somewhere. He remembered very well that it wore a hat with a plume in it and a gold-embroidered uniform, but he had not noticed the shape of the cloak, nor the color of the carriages and the horses, nor even whether a lackey stood behind it, and, if so, what sort of livery he wore. Moreover, so many carriages were passing that it would have been difficult to recognize one, and even if he had done so, there would have been no means of stopping it. The day was fine and sunny. An immense crowd was passing to and fro in the Nevsky Avenue, a variegated stream of ladies flowed along the pavement. There was his acquaintance, the privy councillor, whom he was accustomed to style general, especially when strangers were present. There was Iorigen, his intimate friend who always lost in the evenings at whist, and there another major who had obtained the rank of committee man in the Caucasus beckoning to him. Go to the deuce, said Kovalov sotto voce. Hi, coachman, drive me straight to the superintendent of police. So saying, he got into a droshky and continued to shout all the time to the coachman, Drive hard! Is the police superintendent at home? he asked on entering the front hall. No, sir, answered the porter. He's just gone out. Ah, just as I thought. Yes, continued the porter. He has only just gone out. If you had been a moment earlier, you would have perhaps caught him. Kovalov, still holding his handkerchief to his face, re-entered the droshky and cried in a despairing voice, Drive on! Where? 
asked the coachman. Straight on. But how? There are crossroads here. Shall I go to the right or to the left? This question made Kovalov reflect. In his situation, it was necessary to have recourse to the police, not because the affair had anything to do with them directly, but because they acted more promptly than other authorities. As for demanding any explanation from the department to which the nose claimed to belong, it would, he felt, be useless, for the answers of that gentleman showed that he regarded nothing as sacred, and he might just as likely have lied in this matter as in saying that he had never seen Kovalov. But just as he was about to order the coachman to drive to the police station, the idea occurred to him that this rascally scoundrel, who at their first meeting had behaved so disloyally towards him, might, profiting by the delay, quit the city secretly, and then all his searching would be in vain, or might last over a whole month. Finally, as though visited with a heavenly inspiration, he resolved to go directly to an advertisement office and to advertise the loss of his nose, giving all its distinctive characteristics in detail so that anyone who found it might bring it at once to him or, at any rate, inform him where it lived. Having decided on this course, he ordered the coachman to drive to the advertisement office and all the way he continued to punch him in the back. Quick, scoundrel, quick! Yes, sir, answered the coachman, lashing his shaggy horse with the reins. At last, they arrived, and Kovalov, out of breath, rushed into a little room where a gray-haired official in an old coat and with spectacles on his nose sat at a table holding his pen between his teeth, counting a heap of copper coins. "'Who takes in the advertisements here?' exclaimed Kovalov. "'At your service, sir,' answered the gray-haired functionary, looking up and then fastening his eyes again on the heap of coins before him. "'I wish to place an advertisement in your paper.' "'Have the kindness to wait a minute.' answered the official, putting down figures on paper with one hand and with the other moving two balls on his calculating frame. A lackey, whose silver-laced coat showed that he served in one of the houses of the nobility, was standing by the table with a note in his hand and speaking in a lively tone by way of showing himself sociable. "'Would you believe, sir, this little dog is really not worth twenty-four kopecks, and for my own part, I would not give a farthing for it, but the countess has quite gone upon it and offers a hundred rubles reward to anyone who finds it.' Tell you the truth, the tastes of these people are very different from ours. They don't mind giving 500 or 1,000 rubles for a poodle or a pointer, provided it be a good one. The official listened with a serious air while counting the number of letters contained in the note. At either side of the table stood a number of housekeepers, clerks, and porters carrying notes. The writer of one wished to sell a barouche which had been brought from Paris in 1814 and had been very little used. Others wanted to dispose of a strong droshki which wanted one spring, a spirited horse seventeen years old, and so on. The room where these people were collected was very small, and the air was very close, but Kovalov was not affected by it, for he had covered his face with a handkerchief, and because his nose itself was heaven knew where. "'Sir, allow me to ask you. I am in a great hurry,' he said at last impatiently. "'In a moment, in a moment. Two rubles, twenty-four kopecks. One minute. One ruble, sixty-four kopecks.' said the gray-haired official, throwing their notes back to the housekeepers and porters. "'What do you wish?' he said, turning to Kovalov. "'I wish,' answered the latter. "'I have just been swindled and cheated, and I cannot get hold of the perpetrator. I only want you to insert an advertisement to say that whoever brings this scoundrel to me will be well rewarded.' "'Then what is your name, please?' "'Why do you want my name?' I have many lady friends, Madame Chekterev, wife of a state councillor, Madame Podolchino, wife of a colonel. Heaven forbid that they should get to hear of it. You can simply write committee man, or better, major. And the man who has run away is your serf? Serf? If he was, it would not be such a great swindle. It is the nose which has absconded. Hmm, what a strange name. 
And this, uh, Mr. Nose has stolen from you a considerable sum? Mr. Nose? Ah, you don't understand me. It is my own nose which has gone. I don't know where. The devil has played a trick on me. How has it disappeared? I don't understand. I can't tell you how. But the important point is that now it walks about the city itself as state councillor. That is why I want you to advertise that whoever gets hold of it should bring it as soon as possible to me. Consider, how can I live without such a prominent part of my body? It is not as if it were merely a little toe. It would only have to put my foot in my boot and no one would notice its absence. Every Thursday I call in the wife of Chekterev, the state councillor. Madame Potocina, a colonel's wife, has a very pretty daughter and is one of my acquaintances. And what am I to do now? I cannot appear before them like this. The official compressed his lips and reflected. No, I cannot insert an advertisement like that, he said after a long pause. What? Why not? Because it might compromise the paper. Suppose everyone could advertise that his nose was lost. People already say that all sorts of nonsense and lies are inserted. But this is not nonsense. There's nothing of that sort in my case. You think so? Listen a minute. Last week there was a case very like it. An official came, just as you have done, bringing an advertisement for the insertion of which he paid two rubles, sixty-three kopecks, and this advertisement simply announced the loss of a black-haired poodle. There did not seem to be anything out of the way in it, but it was really a satire. By the poodle was meant the cashier of some establishment or other. But I am not talking of a poodle, but my own nose, i.e. almost myself. No, I cannot insert your advertisement. But my nose really has disappeared. Well, that is a matter for a doctor. There are said to be people who can provide you with any kind of nose you like. But I see that you are a witty man and like to have your little joke. But I swear to you, on my word of honor, look at my face yourself. Why put yourself out, continued the official, taking a pinch of snuff. All the same, if you don't mind, he added with a touch of curiosity, I should like to have a look at it. The committee man removed the handkerchief from before his face. It certainly does look odd, said the official. It is perfectly flat, like a freshly fried pancake. It is hardly credible. Very well. Are you going to hesitate any more? You see, it is impossible to refuse to advertise my loss. I shall be particularly obliged to you, and I shall be glad that this incident has procured me the pleasure of making your acquaintance. The major, we see, did not even shrink from a slight humiliation. It certainly is not difficult to advertise it, replied the official, but I don't see what good it would do you. However, if you lay so much stress on it, you should apply to someone who has a skillful pen so that he may describe it as a curious natural freak and publish the article in the Northern Bee. Here he took another pinch. For the benefit of youthful readers, he wiped his nose, or simply as a matter worthy of arousing public curiosity. The committee man felt completely discouraged. He let his eyes fall absent-mindedly on a daily paper in which theatrical performances were advertised. Reading there the name of an actress whom he knew to be pretty, he involuntarily smiled, and his hand sought his pocket to see if he had a blue ticket. For in Kovalov's opinion, superior officers like himself should not take a lesser-priced seat. But the thought of his lost nose suddenly spoiled everything. The official himself seemed touched at his difficult position, Desiring to console him, he tried to express his sympathy by a few polite words. "'I much regret,' he said, "'your extraordinary mishap. Will you not try a pinch of snuff? It clears the head, banishes depression, and is a good preventative against hemorrhoids.' 
So saying, he reached his snuff box out to Kovalov, skillfully concealing at the same time the cover, which was adorned with the portrait of some lady or other. This act, quite innocent in itself, exasperated Kovalov. I don't understand what you find to joke about in the matter, he exclaimed angrily. Don't you see that I lack precisely the essential feature for taking snuff? The devil take your snuff box. I don't want to look at snuff now. Not even the best, and certainly not your vile stuff. So saying, he left the advertisement office in a state of profound irritation and went to the commissary of police. And that is the end of part one. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed the story. It will wrap up next week, and then I'm thinking about doing another thing every other month that may premiere the week after that, and we'll see. Theming is apparently becoming a thing here at the Weird Tales podcast. Anyway, please go and get vaccinated if you haven't. Get your booster shot and continue to wear a mask. Be a responsible, beneficial member of society, not a wastrel. Punch a racist in the face. And if you see anyone waving around a Nazi flag, punch them twice and then kick them when they're down. Always remember that the most important step you will ever take is the next one. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you next week.